I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome, or should I say welcome back, to the Indie Podcast. Uh, World Cup Daily from Moscow. Uh, I'm Ed Malian, sports editor to the Independent. It is... Uh, incredibly late. Uh, it is 3.48 a.m. And uh, after an incredible day of, of World Cup football, there's a lot to get to. Um, I'm with uh, our Northern Football correspondent, Mark Critchley, but um, we actually had a problem with the audio file uh, on the intro to this, so I had to re-record it on my own. Um, but what you will hear shortly is uh, me and Critch getting stuck into Germany-Mexico, which is the game that we were at at the Luzhniki. Uh, it was the second game of the day after Costa Rica-Serbia. Um, and I'm not exaggerating when I uh, say that originally we didn't talk about Costa Rica-Serbia for more than 10 seconds because Serbia won through a goal from Alexander Kolarov and that was the only interesting thing that really happened. The really interesting stuff happened much later in the day. We had the favourites for the World Cup, Brazil, dropping points and we had the champions, the defending champions, Germany, going down at the Luzhniki to Mexico. Fortunately, uh, Critch and I were there where basically it was a brilliant game, a really attacking game where both sides really went for it. But eventually it was really it was Germany's undoing uh, that they were so attacking and they got picked off because they overcommitted men forward. Um, and you'll hear us talk about that at a bit more length right now. Through and they left themselves to exposed and Mexico took advantage. Yeah, um, a, a totally manic game really, especially the first half. Um, I'm not the best placed person in the world to speak about because even though I was there, I first couldn't get a seat and then didn't have any power and then needed to go and watch it from the media centre in the Luzhniki, which wasn't ideal. Uh, and then I only caught 20 minutes of the second half because then I took someone's seat and got kicked out of it. So anyway... Um, so the, the daily uh, peek behind the curtain... Reference, yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. That, that is the people on the curtain today. Critch saw very little of that game. I actually saw all of it. I had a great seat, um, which I'm sure you're delighted to hear. Uh, <laughs> and uh, I, I thought it was brilliant. Basically, I was really before Argentina Iceland yesterday. I was absolutely buzzing, like I was so excited. Um, I think I had a tear in my eye. Whereas, and then and that game didn't really lead up to it, uh, kind of live up to it. Sorry. And then this game, I was moderately excited about. But during the game, I was just absolutely engrossed. It was brilliant. It was one of those where I didn't write a word till about 75 minutes and then just pounded wow. pounded the entire thing out of well 15. Because it's like, it's one of those where, yeah, because I knew you were, <laughs> you were writing something else. I just wanted to kind of wait as long as I could before trying to capture it. Um, and it was just a, a wild game, I think. It was, uh, first and foremost, a wonderful moment for Juan Carlos Osorio, the Mexican coach, who was almost certain, is almost certain, was almost certain, I'm not sure if that's changed, to, to leave this job at the end of the World Cup. Uh, you know, probably not something on, on many people's radars, but he's much maligned um, for being too 
analytical, they call him El Profesor, but not necessarily in a complimentary manner. Um, because, you know, they think he, he's a bit too... I'm trying to think of a British, like who would be the British equivalent of that. Maybe like a Manuel Pellegrini at, at City, kind of. The, the view is that he's too boring and they don't beat the crap teams in CONCACAF well enough. They don't beat them convincingly enough. And then... Well, if I could just come in, they didn't actually beat Germany convincing enough either. Because no, they, they really be... should have won about 4-5-0, four, four or 5-1 five, five, perhaps, given the amount of chances that they had in that first uh, 35 minutes or so. I mean, um, it's obviously a, it's, it's an incredible result for Mexico and one that nobody expected, no, none of us saw coming. Um, but you do wonder whether... Uh, you do wonder slightly about the finishing and whether... Uh, we we were speaking yesterday about Sweden and that may may not be all great shakes and maybe I'm going to retract my prediction of them getting out of the group and being dark horses, but um, you know a, a team that a team that doesn't give them that much space in behind perhaps they're not going to be able to uh, to, to break them down because we, uh, uh, they need to take their chances basically against teams like that. An interesting thing that I thought uh, with uh, the Germans, the the space they left in behind was really. In behind, the team is almost split in two. Yeah, uh, it wasn't behind the defense as much. It wasn't like it was a high line. It was the defenders were kind of playing like a medium block, and then everyone else was just like pressed high up the field. Uh, the, the front four was Timo Werner, Thomas Muller, Mesut Özil, and Draxler. Julian Draxler. None of whom are renowned for. I mean. Not necessarily defensive work rate, but like just, none of them put any defensive work in at all today. Um, Meza Urzil uh, with the most pea-hearted challenge uh, when Chucky Lozano goes through to score that goal. It was, um, as you say, a, a game where Mexico should have scored and c- could have scored three, four, five goals. They blew so many good chances, which is why, despite this result, you, you can't really be sure that Mexico are going to go ahead and beat Sweden and South Korea and top the group because it, they, they do have the look of a team that's incredibly high variance. Um, yeah, I'd, I'd agree with that. Um, I think I, th- I think Mexico probably still go through. I think the three points is an important one. If I was trying to pick out where Germany went wrong, I would maybe look at the midfield because that oh, was... Uh, what midfield? Well, exactly. I mean, we, we used to see Tony Cruz kind of just dictate games and, and boss games but like uh, kind of, he was just non-existent today with Sami Khedira really and, and I, I don't think anyone's going to sum it up better than uh, Mats Hummels who was got the very quote? forthright yeah I've got the quote here do you want to hear yeah, it you've yeah, already yeah. heard it I think it's worth repeating because uh, rarely do players speak after a game and uh, and be this direct in their criticism Um Hummels basically said, if seven or eight players attack, then it's clear the offensive force is greater than the defensive stability. That's what I often talk about internally, to no effect. Our cover wasn't good. Too often it was just Jerome and I at the back. That couldn't sum up better what I saw. It's, it's uh, a very accurate summation of everything that went wrong and completely honest and false. And the killer, right well. the killer line in there is... The middle one. That's what I often talk about yeah. internally, comma... Just give, give give yourself a dramatic pause, to no effect. Um, Hummels hitting the nail on the head, and I, I went down throwing to throwing Yogi Low under the bus. Yeah. Well, so did you read it as that, or did you read it as him throwing the team under the bus? Well, I think I, I think you could infer that he was throwing the team under the bus in every sentence, apart from the one that you just picked out. 
Because if he's speaking about that internally, maybe he is speaking that to his teammates. Yeah, but you like, could be it saying, that guys, you need to cover back. You need to get back. You need to cover back because that's what they weren't doing. But it suggests that something, I mean, to me, the way I read it was that it suggests that this is something internally, this is something that I've spoke to, not just my teammates about, but like, you, you know, when you, when you, it's a trans. Well, I don't know if it is. No, well, yeah, it, you know, it's it difficult. Suggests he spoke to a lot of people. It, it is it. difficult because um, don't I, I, I've seen a lot of people infer how, infer how you did and, and and I didn't, but that might just be me being weird. Um, talking, uh, you know, a lot of the German players after a result like that, yeah. often the players aren't that keen to speak. Pretty much all of the Germans that were asked to speak did speak afterwards, which is to their credit. Um, who do I speak to? Julian Brandt who came on near the end, said, you know, this is a wake-up call, but we can still get six points. We can still go through with six points. It's not a problem. Uh, Timo Werner said, you know, it's difficult. I said to him, what if, you know, the problem with that result is they might meet Brazil now in the last 16. Um, And he said, well, you know, if if you're going to win the World Cup, you have to beat the good teams, which is the most predictable and dull answer you can get, I guess, to that question. But, it's true, you know, Germany at some point know that if they want to win the World Cup, they're going to have to beat Brazil. Now, it might have been in the final or a semi, and now it's potentially going to be in the round of 16, I think, in Samara, um, which would be quite the game. But for all Germany's uh, faults, I say uh, Azorio's plan, like when he came into the press conference and, uh, you know, they, they asked him about it, he said, you know, I've made this plan... I spent six months making this plan for this team, and the plan was was essentially he he picked three really fast players um, to play up top: Carlos Vela, who, who's express, uh, Chucky Lozano, who's probably one of the most talented attackers they have, <coughs> and Javier Hernandez, who is faster than uh, the other two strikers that could have played, who are pro- probably better in terms of form than, than Hernandez are Aribe Peralta and Raúl Jiménez, but they're both more physical strikers than Chikorito. They're, they're less speedy. Um, he And, for example, at free kicks, he left three up, and it was three on three with the, with the Germans, and that exposed them on the counter. And they, they had so many overmatched situations where they were like three on two or two on one or four on three um, that it was actually disappointing. They only scored one goal, but they eventually did, Lozano getting the goal. And... The other thing I thought was interesting that he said, you know, we talk about him being methodical. We talk about him being obsessive and, and all about the plan, all about the plan, all about the plan. And Martin Ziegler, um, who we just actually went to a lovely Uzbek restaurant with, <coughs> and I've never been to an Uzbek restaurant before, and the food was was excellent. Cosign on that? Yeah, total cosign. Yeah, yeah but excellent Uzbek food. Um, and he said... Uh, did you know that in Mexico, seismologists found that after that goal was scored, they registered, you know, a small earthquake, a, a tremor. Um, you know, how did you react to the goal? And he said, I turned around and went back to my seat and looked at the plan, which is like the most Juan Carlos Azorio thing you could say. And um, it kind of fitted exactly, it's one of those, it was, it was great because it fit exactly with what I've written about him. And it's like, what a great vindication for a man to spend six months on a plan again, to try and beat the world champions and say, look, I see behind Joshua Kimmich there's going to be a lot of space. And behind, um, well, they thought it would be Jonas Hector, but in the end it was Marvin Plattenhard because um, Hector had the flu. And it was, we're going to expose them behind the fullbacks and we're going to pull them out of position. And 
I think you said uh, at dinner, if Jerome Boateng hadn't been so brilliant today, it would have been significant. He, he actually could have been man of the match in a game they lost 1-0 and, and were kind of heavily exposed throughout. I think there's a weird justification to make him man of the match anyway, because like we said, it could have been four or five, and yet it was only one. And uh, even though it didn't transpire, Germany had a chance of getting some kind of result out of that game all the way up to you know the, the last few minutes. And... and a big reason for that was Jerome Boateng. Um, but I, look, we, I don't think we can really concentrate on him after what we saw. I think I, I, what I'd be interested to know is um, we, we hear, we've heard so much about Azario's plan today and we've heard that you know he's, he's had this in the pipeline for six months. Would he have done the same for Sweden and South Korea? Um, I think I was reading an interview with the South Korean manager um, earlier today maybe where he said that basically they'd they'd planned for um, they'd planned for Sweden and Mexico because they were their first two opponents, but they hadn't planned for Germany because by two games they've gone in the World Cup, they'll understand you know how Germany play. Um, I just wonder. Yeah, I don't know. Is that you, you know more about Azari than I do? Is is that something that he would have done? Or is, or is, or is, are we going to see a different Mexico in the next two games? Is what I'm asking. I suppose. The, the the interesting thing is that there has been there have been times where he's left Mexico way too open. Um, most notably, the absolute destruction they received at the hands of Chile in the Copa America, and then even the Confederations Cup last year, where Germany's second team took them apart. Um, but you know he would have got little scraps of information from everywhere, and probably as much from losing to the B team last year, um, and. He, he he changed it up, and you know what I liked. He brought on Rafael Marquez, kind of late doors, who became one of the I can't remember how many players it is now, but very few players to have played in five World Cups, which is extraordinary. And I, I interviewed him afterwards, and we'll probably put that on the website at some point. I can't work out whether to do it tomorrow or to do it before the the second game. But um, Marquez, just a really thoughtful, experienced veteran defender slash defensive midfielder exactly the perfect sort of guy to bring on to try and bring stability to that team and you know they're not a shoe in now because the attacking was chaotic and it was wild and it was exciting uh, but when they come up against Sweden and South Korea it wouldn't surprise you in the slightest if they laid an egg against either of those teams um, but it was just great to watch it was obviously a massive surprise which is terrific uh, for us and I mean, I, th- I think we pretty much covered everything. Germany, Germany still seemed really calm, and they still seemed really confident they were going to go through. But they can't afford any more slip-ups. That's fine. They just can't afford any more slip-ups, and their path to the final just got harder. It may have benefited England. Um, there is a scenario now where if England comes second in their group, uh, things get easier. I, I'm not going to. I mean. When you start multiplying hypotheticals by hypotheticals, um, it gets... That it's actually better for England to come second now. Well, like, I mean, that's what I'm saying. I'm not, I'm not going to go down this road. I'm yeah, just saying... I'm saying, I'm saying it would, it, it would help, possibly. Um, and then after that, uh, Brazil-Costa Rica. Uh, no, Brazil, not Brazil-Costa Brazil-Switzerland. And Brazil drew 1-1 with Switzerland. And that was a game that we did not catch all of. Um, we caught some of. And as you'll hear later, um, I did uh, talk to Jack Bitbrook earlier on 
just for a little England preview and uh, get some of his thoughts ahead of England-Tunisia. And uh, he was watching Brazil uh, versus Switzerland at the time. And literally while I was talking to him, Coutinho scored a stunner. And it was a, an excellent goal from him, like that sort of traditional kind of whip and bend that he gets on the ball. Um, I'm sure Miguel would call it a beautiful trajectory. Um, and it was... It looked like they were playing sailing. And then Switzerland's goal... After that, they actually looked fairly solid in defence, Switzerland, and, and the onus was on Brazil to make something happen. And um, you can read Miguel's match report from Rostov on uh, the website. And what he was saying was basically Neymar kept slowing the play down too much. The ball came to him, and he was just... I, I mean, how do you say He just puts the foot on the ball and kind of allows bodies to get back and stuff. And, yeah. and sometimes the quickness is what you need because it catches them off balance and, and you know there are coaches whose entire philosophies like Drillo Olsen who have been built around catching teams off balance and because Neymar wanted to slow it down and he wanted to you know beat a man humiliate a man maybe once or twice it actually gave Switzerland a chance and Switzerland aren't a bad team you know I don't think they're necessarily a great team or, good, or even a, okay I'll, I'll give them a good team but like they've got veteran defenders and defenders who play at the highest level in Europe who can deal with things when they you know are in the right position and all that sort of stuff. You don't want if you're Fabian Schaar or Stefan Lichtsteiner who's like 34. You don't want to be like chasing Neymar back. But if he's in front of you and um, whatever, and you get the chance to trip him if he does beat you, that's fine. You'll take that. You'll give away a free kick and, and work it out. So. Um, I would ask you if you have any thoughts on Brazil, but I know you didn't see much of it either. Well, I, I don't know. I have to. I think we've learned a little bit more about Switzerland than we did about Brazil, to be honest. What do you I mean think, by um, that? Well, well, maybe I learned a little bit more about Switzerland than I did about Brazil. But it was it was the defence you're talking about. So they've got Lich Steiner at right back, uh, Shah, Akanji, who uh, Liverpool would like to believe we were interested in mm-hmm. before he joined Dortmund in January, and Ricardo Rodriguez at left back. Um, yeah, it, it, I, th- I think, you know, given given how much hype we were putting around this Brazil team, given the attacking resources that they have at their disposal, uh, to limit to limit Brazil t- to the extent that we saw, I thought was quite impressive. And as we've been saying in every single podcast, you know, if, you, if you've got the defensive side of your game at lockdown, then uh, you always stand a chance of progression uh, in international football tournaments. I don't think we saw enough in the Serbia-Costa Rica game to really say that either of those two, um, you know, you, that you put them ahead of Switzerland to qualify. So uh, I think, yeah, in, in that sense, we learned a lot about Switzerland from it. Um, and then I suppose the other takeaway is with that result, it was confirmed that basically none of the favourites for this competition, none of the big top quality sides apart from France against Australia, who were poor still, but none of the rest have have uh, won the game or won their first game, picked up three points. Um, I don't know how much that tells us. Maybe teams, we were, we were talking about it over this as Becky food, about how perhaps teams in this opening round, they get sucked into, you know, the, the kind of carnival atmosphere of the opening round of a World Cup group stage. But um, and I think we're, I think the consensus is that we're all kind of impressed by Spain the most of anybody else. Still, even though 
and, and and it is a big like caveat with them they have still sacked their manager two days before the tournament start. Yeah. so it seems like you know we're all kind of going into the last couple of days of this first round of fixtures all all the top sides are on a kind of parity and and um, that makes it interesting for the second round at least we we still have to see obviously England and Colombia who and Belgium uh, Belgium as well sorry who are I think uh, so. Belgium are the top seeds in England's group. Then. Yeah. Yeah. So, Belgium and Colombia are uh, the top seeds in their respective groups, and and then England as well. They're the teams that, I guess, could become the most impressive. I of, think Poland were top seeds as well. But I mean, but yeah, they're, Poland. They're as as, they gained. They gained the they system, didn't they? Yeah. Um. So you know they could be the most impressive teams at the end of the group stage. So far, I, I'd agree with you. I think Spain. Spain have been. I mean, we'll probably talk about this more after the final round of group games, so I don't want to ruin it too much. But what we can say already for sure is that of the four semi-finalists in 2014, one of them didn't qualify. That was the Dutch. And um, the other three have failed to win their opening game. So there is uh, some interesting stuff happening in Russia. Um there is. So keep listening to the yeah, podcast. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> keep watching the football. I know you're probably going to turn it off, but uh, yeah, keep watching it. Um, another word for the the Mexican fans, and in fact, all the the travelling contingents, uh, uh, largely Latin American. Uh, this, I mean, we we've been at three games in four days, I guess, and we've seen a lot of Latin American fans, and a lot of them are just travelling through the Peruvians, uh, notably. The Argentines yesterday were incredible. There were just shed loads of them, and they're loud, and they're fun, and they somehow managed to get tickets from anywhere, uh, much to the to the chagrin of um, Halgrimson, the the uh, the dentist in charge of of Iceland, and uh, Mexico today again. Mexico completely dominated the Luzhniki. Uh They were incredibly loud, numerous, um, and. The, the absolute state of them in Moscow city centre in the last hour um, makes me think that some of them aren't going to get home tonight. Um, but the best of luck to them because they were great and and the World Cup needs it does need fans and I do you know I do feel like there aren't a huge amount of Europeans here. I think we discussed it before that the Western news cycle might have put them off perhaps. Um, and maybe the, the South Americans and the Latin Americans, uh, I'm more pointing towards Mexico, Panama, Costa Rica there, they don't get the same news as us in terms of they're not hearing constantly about Sergei Skripal or Malaysia Flight MH17 or anything like that. You know, that's not as much on their radar. So they didn't have the fear. It's easier for them to get visas and stuff, whereas a lot of European nations, I think, have shied away. And two of the great travelling bands of fans, three of the great travelling bands of fans, the Irish, um, the Italians and the Dutch, didn't qualify. So uh, there is certainly an element that the Latin American teams are providing the, the colour and the soundtrack to this tournament. Yeah, um, I think one other thing, perhaps, I, I don't know, this is just a theory, um, maybe it's, it, it's definitely, if you're coming to Russia, it's definitely easier to travel to Moscow. And if you're coming from such a long way, perhaps it's just easier just to stay in Moscow as well. And you may come for to soak up a bit of atmosphere. If you've got a ticket, you could use one of the free trains. I I, I think that might be a little bit re- the reason, just logistics. 
Um, I don't want to read too much into it because without going out and talking to too many people, I suppose you don't really know. Uh, and I imagine once a few more European teams do, do come and, and obviously as if, if the teams that we expect to progress to the knockout stages do so, there will be a lot more in Moscow. But um, you're right so far, we've been saying it all the way through this podcast, it is mainly Latin America so far and that was no different tonight with uh, obviously the Mexico result. And uh, I mean, uh, we've got Poland, Senegal on Tuesday and Moscow and Wednesday is Portugal, Morocco. So that is a chance for for us to be, uh, I say us, for me to be proven completely wrong. Um we we shouldn't say so much more because it is quite literally daylight outside now. Um, I yeah I know. Well, you've got tomorrow off, so it's fine. I will. Um, I mean, how am I going to do this? I'm just going to edit the conversation I had with Jack Pitbrook earlier on. I'm going to tack it on the end of of the podcast, and and you can listen to that. That's the preview of England Tunisia tomorrow, uh, which is happening in Volga. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Now it's time to check in with the England camp, uh, where, as uh, he said last night, Johnny Lou has flown down from Moscow to Volgograd. Um, sounds like he had a bit of a disaster from what he was saying about his journey, but... Jack uh, will be with him, Jack Pitbrook, and Johnny, how are you, where are you, etc, etc. Hi Ed, I'm here in the Volgograd Arena Media Centre, watching the Brazil game. Uh, unfortunately our colleague Jonathan Liu isn't with us because he's gone to go and track down his lost luggage. Oh, okay then. Um, well, what have you been doing today? Uh, I know Harry Kane was speaking. So I just went to the Gareth Southgate and Harry Kane press conference here which was more or less what you'd expect. I think it was, a, it was a repetition of the same themes that we've seen from the England camp over the last few weeks. Kane's, you know, as kind of ambitious and positive as ever, talked about how desperate he is to prove himself on the World Cup stage, which I'm sure he is. I mean, you know, this is a guy who scored 108 Premier League goals uh, in the last four and a bit seasons, but has yet to score in a major tournament. So I'm sure that someone who is as motivated by proving himself and by proving others wrong as Kane, in, as Kane is, will be desperate to, to do that here at Volgograd and over the rest of the tournament. And uh, what about Gareth? And Southgate was very impressive too when he spoke. He really re-emphasised this idea of the, the kind of fresh start and blank slate. He doesn't, you know, he, he bigging up the fact that this is a very young, inexperienced England squad who don't need to be burdened by what's happened in the past. I mean, as ever with these things, you know, there's always this argument, 
are is it better to have experienced players who know what it's like or is it players who don't have the mental scars of what's gone before and I think Southgate is certainly taking the approach that I think that players who are scarred by 2014 or 2016 is maybe better not to have them around I mean there's not many players who were in the 2014 squad who are here in this squad um, and that means that the he kind of wants to say that this is, you know, basically year zero for England. It's all going to start again from scratch. Southgate also talked about how he's seeing the kind of positive benefits of his own coaching and philosophy in the players recently. He said they're improving every game. He says that he's getting more impressed by the patterns they're playing. He's in, he thinks that his ideas are getting through to them in training and eventually on the pitch. I mean, of course, he's not going to say the opposite of that. He's not going to say, oh, no, they still don't understand what I want them to do and they're training badly. But that does kind of set up what I think the biggest question is going, to, going into this whole tournament, which is, ha- sorry, as I'm saying this, uh, Coutinho just scored a brilliant goal. Uh, so I've slightly lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, sorry, that sets up like, the big question here, which is, has Southgate improved the team? Can they play the way that he wants them to play? Is that the right way to succeed in the tournament? And do they, in fact, bear any of the scars of Iceland and before then? Jacko, um, thanks for joining us. Uh, we'll talk tomorrow after England's 3-0 win, I'm going to go for, over Tunisia. And hopefully Johnny will not only be reunited with his luggage, but he'll be back on the podcast. Um, we can you know, get the old crew back together. And I think even Miguel is back in Moscow for 9.30 tomorrow night, he said. So we could have a full house uh, on the pod. Um, otherwise, that's it for tonight. Uh, a super late one at the end. But we only do it because uh, we know you guys like it so much. For, so for now, check out the website, uh, independent.co.uk slash football. Uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, at IndieFootball and uh, at IndieSport. Uh, on Instagram, it's uh, Independent Sport. And uh, on Facebook, The Independent Sport. Um, make sure you don't get the Irish one. Um, but otherwise, next time you hear from us, the three lions might well be roaring, or they could just as easily have been tamed. Uh, I can't wait to find out. Thanks for joining. <laughs>